Bridges to Bailey, back to Bridges, once more to Bailey, now it's Bridges, here's Bailey, oh my, Bridges, Bailey, Bailey, Bridges, and they scored! Last play of the game, 98 yards to go, and these boys ain't got no more hope than a pig in a parlor. Pitch goes to the right, defense closing in, and he's floating. He's in the air, a human being is taking flight, he's flying to the 50, the end zone, touchdown! The piggies have done it, I turned, I turned, I turned, the piggies win! Oh, sacré bleu, il est fort sans pied, il utilise ses mains, sans pied? Un honte, un disgrace! Oh, what's this? He's thrown it back! This could change the sport! A terrible day for fishing, a great day for the fish! This is Apocalypse Sports Radio, and now your host, Shane Ryan! It is a spectacular night in the Valley of the Sun as we welcome you to Glendale, Arizona, as the BCS Bowl Bash continues on Fox in this sensational first-year venue. Boise State tonight steps onto the national stage, playing the role of David, trying to take down Goliath. Here come the WAC champion, Boise State University Broncos. Welcome, everybody. I hope your week has been great. And as you have gleaned from that opening bit of audio, today's podcast will look at the Fiesta Bowl college football game between the Boise State Broncos and the Oklahoma Sooners. So this one took place in Glendale, Arizona at the new University of Phoenix Stadium on New Year's Day, January 1st, 2007. In my opinion, it's the greatest college football game ever played. And if you disagree with that, that's fine. But you'll probably at least agree that it was the best end game. Nothing for me can match the drama of the final two minutes of regulation and the first and only overtime period. And yes, I include Doug Flutie's Hail Mary, the Auburn field goal return, and anything else you want to throw out there. Those were singular plays and they were great, but for staggering drama, play after play after play, nothing tops Boise, Oklahoma. Let's do this. All right, before we get to the game, let's talk a little bit about these teams. And we'll start with Oklahoma. When I think of the Sooners now, and I'm warning you, this may not be fair, but it's my perception. I think of the phrase, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. First off, when you look at the recent college football playoff records, it's not great. Oklahoma has made the playoff in four of the six years since it started, and they've lost all four semifinal games. So you look at that and think, okay, this is a team that obviously excels in the Big 12 Conference. Uh, No other Big 12 team has even made the playoff in its six years of existence so far, but they can't hang with the big dogs of the SEC or a team like Clemson. Again, this is my perception, and I know that if you look a little deeper, it's almost definitely unfair. Uh, This is a team, for example, that lost to Georgia in the 2017-18 semifinal in overtime, and Georgia then lost to Alabama in overtime, so clearly there's one year where Oklahoma was just as good as the, quote, best team in the country. And man, Bob Stoops was so good. He was the head coach from 1999 when he took over to 2016 when he retired. 
and his overall record in that time was 190 and 48. That gives him a winning percentage of 798, and let's just compare that to a few names. First off, it's better than Nick Saban's 788, and it's just below Dabo Swinney's 807, and it's better than basically any active FBS football coach you can think of. They called him Big Game Bob, which is one of those few nicknames that's both sincere and ironic at the same time, uh, because this guy did have a ton of huge victories in big games. He finished with a winning record against every Big 12 team, including an 11-7 mark against Texas. Uh, that game, of course, called the Red River Showdown, and it's by far the most important game in any Oklahoma regular season. But again, there is also that perception that he had a habit of losing in the really enormous games. So Big Game Bob wasn't pure tribute. There's also something derisive about it. So let's talk a little bit about Stoops. He came from Youngstown, Ohio. His dad was a defensive coordinator at his high school, and his father unfortunately passed away from a heart attack after a game when Stoops was only 28. Stoops himself played college football at Iowa, and he may not look the part when you see him on the sidelines, but he was a defensive back, and he was all Big Ten his senior year. After that, he became a volunteer and a graduate assistant at Iowa under Hayden Fry and quickly began to rise in the coaching ranks, becoming Bill Snyder's defensive coordinator at Kansas State in 1991. Together with Snyder, they completely remade that program, and Stoops' next move was to the University of Florida, where he was defensive coordinator under Steve Spurrier. He won a national championship there in 97, and that's when his star really rose, and he became basically the top coaching prospect in the country. It was Oklahoma that scooped him up in 1999, and his career started brilliantly. In just his second season, he got the Sooners into the preseason top 25 at number 19, and that hadn't happened in five years. But what happened that season couldn't have been predicted by anyone, including probably Stoops. Oklahoma started off just demolishing teams, including a shocking 63-14 drubbing of number 11 Texas. But it wasn't until an October 14 game at number 2 Kansas State where Stoops beat his mentor, Bill Snyder, that people started to understand, okay, these guys are really for real. It continued with win after win after win, and when they took down Kansas State again in the Big 12 championship, they were on to play Florida State in the Orange Bowl in what was basically the de facto national title game. And again, it was another dominating performance, especially by the defense, as Stoops and the Sooners won 13-2. So at 13-0, they were national champions, and it's wild to think of how fast Stoops had risen to the top of the sport. He was only 40 years old with two national titles in four years. A lot of people gave him more credit than Spurrier for the Gators winning in 97, and he had completely resurrected Oklahoma's program in just two years. Pretty incredible, and you can understand why people thought he was a genius and why Oklahoma would be winning more national titles before his time was done. Well, he was a genius, I think, but as it turned out, that would be Stoops' only title. He won the Cotton Bowl the next year and the Rose Bowl after that, but 2003 was the start of what would be kind of a, a quintessential Stoops season, unfair as that might be. After an undefeated season and a number one ranking, Oklahoma only had to beat Kansas State in the Big 12 title game to play for a national championship. Well, they didn't win. In fact, they were routed 35-7 and then lost to LSU in the Sugar Bowl. The next year, they completed the undefeated season by beating Colorado in the Big 12 title game, but were throttled by Pete Carroll's USC team 55-19 in the title game. And as the years go on, you see this interesting pattern repeat. On one hand, he's an unbelievably successful coach by basically any measure, 
He wins 10 Big 12 championships in 18 years. Uh, we already talked about the insane winning percentage, and yet he doesn't win another big one. And in that sense, he's probably a victim of his own early success and the incredible expectations that birthed. Because by the time his career ended, it was clear he wasn't quite on the same level as coaches like Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, and Dabo Swinney. Close, but not there. So, let's talk about 2006. On one hand, the news was bad for Oklahoma from the start. Our beloved NCAA decided that Rhett Bomar, the QB, and an offensive lineman named J.D. Quinn received payment before the season for work at a car dealership owned by an Oklahoma booster. Problem is, they didn't do the work. And when the NCAA got wind of it, Stoops really didn't have much choice but to kick them both off the team. That was no small loss, and it reduced Oklahoma in many people's minds from a national title contender to maybe a top 15 team. On the other hand, they had a junior running back named Adrian Peterson. And we all know about Peterson. Now he's gone on to become one of the best running backs in NFL history. And you may not believe this, but he was quite good, <laughs> quite good in college as well. So in the third game of that season at Oregon, Oklahoma got tremendously unlucky on a controversial onsides kick, and Oregon scored two touchdowns in the final 72 seconds to take a one-point lead. Oklahoma had one last shot, but they missed a 44-yard field goal as time expired. Two games later, they lost to Texas at home, and with a 3-2 record, Stoops knew he could basically shelve any national title ambitions. Still, the team began to turn things around the following week with a win against Iowa State. Toward the end of the game, though, disaster struck. Adrian Peterson, diving into the end zone after a 53-yard run, broke his collarbone. They thought he'd be out about four to six weeks, but it turned out that he was going to miss the rest of the regular season. It turned out, though, that Oklahoma was not going to quit. Even without him, even without Bomar, the starting quarterback, the Sooners somehow managed to run the table the rest of the year. Texas lost their last two games in something of a shocker, which meant Oklahoma was off to the Big 12 title game, where they finished their regular season with a win over number 19 Nebraska. That earned them an automatic spot in a BCS Bowl, which was actually a tremendous result considering their bad luck throughout the year. They found out they'd be playing in the Fiesta Bowl and against a strange opponent, the Boise State Broncos. And the best news of all was that with a month-long layoff, Adrian Peterson, their star running back, would return. In a lot of ways, you can look at Chris Peterson, Boise State's head coach and no relation to Adrian, as a polar opposite to Bob Stoops. Where Stoops came from a defensive background, Peterson was always focused on offense. He was a quarterback in high school and for a couple of years at Sacramento City College, and his first big job in college football was as quarterback's coach at Pittsburgh. He took that same job at Portland State before moving to Oregon as a receivers coach. He was successful everywhere he went, and by January 2001, he became offensive coordinator at Boise State. The Broncos had only been up in what was then called Division 1A and is now called the FBS since 1996, but the new head coach Dan Hawkins and Peterson quickly transformed them into powerhouses of the Western Athletic Conference. little parenthetical, they are now in the Mountain West, but at the time, they were in the WAC. So they finished in the AP Top 25 for the first time in 2002, and they were scoring machines. In 2003 alone, Peterson's QB, Ryan Dinwiddie, 
threw for 4,300 yards, and the team scored 602 points. When Hawkins left to coach Colorado, it was a no-brainer to move Peterson into the top spot. So that brings us to 2006, Peterson's first season. And just like Stoops in his early days, Peterson starts off with a bang. But you know how these small West Coast schools are perceived. Yes, they score a lot of points. Yes, they have great offensive talent. But from the time I was a kid, and this continues to the present day, you think of them as defensively weak, basically only capable of winning against other Western teams in these epic late-night shootouts, but wilting when they meet a real defense. But that wasn't Boise State. A 42-14 win against Oregon State proved the point, and aside from a 41-34 win against Hawaii, they didn't give up more than 28 points on the year. The offense was balanced, too, with running back Ian Johnson getting plenty of reps and finishing fourth in college football with 1,700 yards running. Jared Zabransky, the quarterback, only threw for 2,500 yards that year. Compare that, for instance, to Colt Brennan's 5,500 yards for Hawaii, but his passer rating was sixth best in the country. The combined efficiency of the offense only highlighted Peterson's exceptional skills. Okay, but let's also be realistic. This was not an Oklahoma-like schedule. Boise State didn't play a ranked team all season, and they were lucky to get by San Jose State on the road late in the year. The rest of their games were mostly blowouts, culminating with a 38-7 win at Nevada to complete the school's second undefeated regular season. More importantly, their ranking shot up just high enough to land them a spot in their first-ever BCS Bowl, where they'd face Oklahoma in the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. They knew it, too. After they beat Nevada, they celebrated by throwing Tostitos chips all around. In popular myth today, this game is recast as a sort of David versus Goliath game. You kind of heard Tom Brenneman on the, uh, the opening clip that I played use that exact language. But you have to remember that despite the huge disparity in history between the two programs, Oklahoma only came in as a seven-point favorite. You can see the misperception in action in the language of an otherwise excellent Sports Illustrated oral history from 2016, which includes this text, quote, They, Oklahoma, entered the game as seven-point favorites, and their matchup against the mid-major even 12-0 WAC conference champ Boise State was supposed to be a romp, end quote. Well, no, if it was supposed to be a romp, the line would have been much higher than seven points, obviously. But there was some disrespect in the week leading up to the New Year's game. When Adrian Peterson was asked about Ian Johnson, he responded, Ian Johnson who? Johnson, when asked, only said, oh, maybe he's not a big football fan. But his comments after the game proved that it stuck in his craw. According to Jared Rabb, a Boise receiver who had played an enormous part in the game, a couple Sooner players made a comment to them when they met up along the lines of, you guys are just happy to be here, right? You don't really expect to win? So Rabb and his teammates, of course, spread that message, and who knows, maybe it gave them some motivation. But, and this might just be me, I think it's possible to make too much of that entire narrative. Football teams and sports teams in general are always clamoring for bulletin board material, and while Oklahoma was favored, it wasn't like they were juggernauts. If they were juggernauts, they would have been playing for the national title game. They were only in a BCS Bowl at all because Texas lost two narrow games to unranked teams at the end of the season. 
And it's even harder to imagine a coach like Bob Stoops allowing his team to be overconfident. Be that as it may, it's a narrative that people like. And when the game started, the opening salvos very much fed into the idea that Oklahoma was overconfident and underprepared. Zabransky looking for it all, wide open in the end zone, touchdown Dryzen James. That was Zabransky to James, a 49-yard touchdown to start the scoring. Thompson play action, under heavy pressure, the ball is loose. And it looks like Boise State has it, the Broncos have recovered. That was an Oklahoma fumble on the very next drive inside the 10, followed two plays later, by Ian Johnson rushing for Boise State's second touchdown. Thompson to the end zone. Touchdown, Oklahoma. But there, Oklahoma struck back at the very end of the first quarter on a pass from Paul Thompson to Manuel Johnson. In the second quarter, Oklahoma held off the Broncos, but Thompson threw an interception on a long pass to the end zone. The Sooners rallied for a field goal to make it 14-10, but with 40 seconds left in the half, Boise was ready for their next bit of magic. Zabransky steps away from trouble, throws to the far side, and James cuts it back to the inside. Now to the corner of the end zone. Touchdown! Holy mackerel! Holy mackerel indeed. That made it 21-10 to at the half with Dryson James's second touchdown, and Oklahoma was genuinely stunned. Ligadu Nani, a Boise State receiver, later told Sports Illustrated that, quote, In the second quarter, I remember looking up into the stands and everybody on their side was sitting on their hands. It was crazy. They were just in complete shock. I've never seen anything like that. Well, it was about to get worse. Four minutes into the third quarter, Thompson, scrambling right, basically threw a jump ball into triple coverage, and Gerald Alexander for Boise State intercepted it and returned it to the 50. Boise had to punt again, but they'd won the field position game. And on the next drive, Thompson threw yet another interception. This time, it was punished immediately. Peterson is in there, and Thompson to throw on first down! Intercepted! And into the end zone goes Marty Tappan! That made it 28-10, and with only a few minutes left in the third quarter, it seemed like the Oklahoma disaster was complete. But, to their credit, they showed a lot of grit, gumption, heart, whatever you want to call it. More importantly, Thompson stopped throwing interceptions and the Sooners got lucky. On a short punt, Boise's Iona Key fumbled at his own 11-yard line. Oklahoma recovered, and two plays later, it was time for Adrian Peterson to make his presence known. Second and seven. Peterson to the end zone! His first score since breaking his collarbone against Iowa State. Boise went three and out on its next possession, and Oklahoma capitalized with a 50-yard drive and a short field goal to make it 28-20. to After two more punts, Boise State was on the march in Oklahoma Territory with just nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's when Ian Johnson fumbled, and though Oklahoma had to punt yet again on the ensuing drive, it was a critical opportunity loss for Boise State. Two drives later, Oklahoma finally broke through. Thompson hit Quentin Chaney for a five-yard touchdown, and after penalties negated the first two conversion attempts, 
Thompson hit Joaquin Iglesias over the middle for a critical two points. The game was tied at 28 with just 126 left on the clock. Now, on one hand, we've seen this before. A lovable underdog starts out hot, runs out to a lead, makes everybody believe in them, and then finally succumbs to the juggernaut. It's a disheartening storyline, at least to the neutral observer. On the other hand, Boise State still had the ball with 86 seconds left, plenty of time to drive down the field, perhaps hit the game-winning field goal, and walk off with a dramatic victory. Wouldn't that be great? Instead, here's what happened on the very first play of that drive. They've set the ball, and Zabransky a dangerous throw, and it's intercepted into the end zone, Marcus Walker. And with that, the air came out of the upset story. Marcus Walker, who earlier had recovered a critical fumble, picked off Zabransky on the sideline, as you heard, and had absolutely nobody between him and the end zone. Suddenly, like a lightning strike, Oklahoma had a lead. But there was one interesting element about that play, and Stoops later mentioned it to SI. Quote, the ironic part is, if he takes a knee at the one, we kick a field goal with a second to go and game's over. But that's not what you're used to doing when you intercept the ball. End quote. Well, as Stoops said, Walker couldn't have been expected to be thinking about that at the moment, and it would be harsh to even minorly criticize him. Still, it left time on the clock. Time which was not particularly well spent by Boise State. On the first play of what would be their last drive in regulation, Zabransky did complete a 36-yard pass to the Sooners' 42, which was an auspicious start. Then he got sacked, back at the 50. Then he threw an incomplete pass. Then he threw another incomplete pass. Suddenly, it was 4th and 18, and there were only 18 seconds left on the clock. Getting the first down, of course, was imperative, but really, they had to score on this play or the next one. What came next took this game from just dramatic to bona fide insanity, and it was only the start of the journey. His legs might be critical here to save time on throwing the ball. Down the middle, James, the lateral! To the corner of the end zone! Can you believe that? Ah, the hook and ladder. Zabransky throws it to James, who pitches to Jared Robb, who ran completely against the tide of the Oklahoma defense. To watch that now is incredible because it was so poorly defended by Oklahoma. In fact, it's one of those plays that's so famous that it completely changed how defenses cover end-of-game situations. There's an analogy here to the famous Christian Leitner shot against Kentucky. After that play, no team in their right minds ever left the inbounder uncovered to throw a perfect pass. Same here. In the future, teams would never again be so befuddled at the hook and ladder play. But befuddled is exactly what Oklahoma were. Even Boise were a little surprised it worked. As Johnson said later, quote, it never worked in practice because we never took it super seriously. If there was ever a time for this stinking play to work, it was going to be today. The extra point was good. The kickoff ended the quarter and it was on to overtime. Boise State won the coin toss and elected to defend. What happened on the first play from scrimmage showed the state of their defense. Overtime is underway, and Peterson with the football. Off to the left side. Down the sideline. Leaps, did he get in or step out of bounds? Touchdown, Adrian Peterson. One play, 25 yards, touchdown for Adrian Peterson. Stoops opted for the extra point, which made sense. To quibble just a little bit, their offense looked so unstoppable that it may have been worthwhile to attempt the conversion, but when you flip that around, 
there's no way he could live with failing and then having Boise State win the game with a touchdown and an extra point. So fair play to Stoops. Boise took over on their 25 with a chance to tie or outdo Oklahoma, and it clearly wasn't going to be as easy as it was for Peterson. Uh, on third and eight, Zabransky completed a pass to Derek Schumann for a first down, uh, and Ian Johnson rushed two plays later, made it third and one at the five-yard line. But when they tried Johnson again, he lost a yard. That made it fourth and two. And again, Boise couldn't attempt a field goal here. They had to get the touchdown. It was time now for the second of Boise's three miracle plays, and Chris Peterson went back to his bag of tricks. They do this a lot. Peretta to take the snap. He's going to throw it to the end zone. Touchdown! That was running back Vinny Peretta taking the snap and throwing the ball to Schumann on a halfback option. As he ran right, he looked completely stoppered by the defense. Yet again, though, Oklahoma was not expecting what might, in hindsight, look obvious. He had to pass, and Schumann was wide open in the back of the end zone. The funny thing about that play is that almost nobody believed in it, including Chris, P Chris Peterson, who endorsed it with an, uh, I'm not sure, over the headset to Brian Harson, an assistant who is now Boise's head coach. Zabransky was pissed because he wanted to throw the ball. Peretta was in disbelief that they were actually running the play, and only Schumann was happy because he knew if it went right, well, he got to catch the pass. Chris Peterson now had a choice. He could kick the extra point and send the game into a second overtime, or he could go for two and the win. Later, commentators would give him credit for the quote-unquote risky call, but anyone who watched Adrian Peterson run rush shot over the Boise State defense knew it wasn't risky at all. Chris Peterson knew this was a game he couldn't prolong. It was only going to get easier and easier for Oklahoma to score, and likely harder and harder for his team. Marty Tadman, a safety, remembered their exhaustion as he spoke about Peterson's run. Quote, no one did their job. Everyone was exhausted or such an emotional wreck because of what just happened. We were done. Ian Johnson said, this is a mercy thing for our defense. We can't ask them to continually take the bludgeoning that was Oklahoma. And there was something more, too. As Brian Harson, the assistant, said, quote, at that point, you're just riding the lightning. So they went for two. And if you could blame Oklahoma's defensive shortcomings for the first two unforgettable plays, at least somewhat, the two-point conversion attempt was a simple act of genius. Boise State for the win. They hand it off to Johnson. Boise State has won the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Can you believe it? The play was simple. All the receivers line up on the right, Zabransky fakes the throw that way, holds the ball behind his back, and Ian Johnson races behind him to take it as he's moving left. In a perfect world, the defense will be completely discombobulated, the linemen will have them sealed off completely from the left side, and this little variation on the Statue of Liberty play will result in Johnson basically going untouched into the end zone. And in fact, that's exactly how it went down. Nobody laid a finger on him, and that was it. 43-42, Boise State, pandemonium. In the post-game celebration, Ian Johnson was about to do something amazing, and those of you who watch the game know exactly what's coming between Johnson and his girlfriend, a Boise State cheerleader named Chrissy Popadich. But watching the footage again, there's a really stunning aspect to the whole thing, and I want you to listen to this and pay attention to Chris Myers. You think Oklahoma took you, you lightly? We know they did. We, the, way, the way they were talking about us the whole entire game, the way they were talking to us when they were down, I mean, the whole entire week, we felt like they were, we were their little brothers. How about that final play, the gutsiness to go for two? 
I mean, we just felt amazing that our coach had enough confidence in us to go for two, to win this game, because we were playing to win, not to lose. All right, and I know you're going to propose to your girlfriend. Congratulations. Hey. Oh, hold on, wait a minute. Tommy, he's going to really do this. Hey. He gave away the proposal. How on earth do you blow that? Just say, uh, Ian, is there something else you want to do? Instead, he makes it sound like some obligation he has to fulfill. Oh, I guess you're going to propose to your girlfriend now. Bad stuff, Chris Myers. Anyway, the legacy of this game is manifold. It put Chris Peterson on the map. It made Boise State into a legend. And it probably was the moment when Bob Stoops went from emerging legend to, well, let's say tier 1B of the great college coaches. But more than that, it's just that one game in a million with a perfect ending, with the kind of theatrics and drama that you dream up as a kid, but that seem too unrealistic for real life. Yes, we've pushed our own values and desires onto this game in days since. Boise State wasn't quite the David we might like to believe, and Oklahoma not quite the Goliath. But the action on the field erases any narrative imperfections. 37 points were scored in the final minute 26 seconds plus overtime, and each play, each moment existed on a knife's edge. It showcased play-calling genius, resilience, and miraculous execution at the same time. And for me, as I've said before, it's the greatest football game I've ever seen. All right. Thank you, everybody, again for listening. This was episode number 23 of Apocalypse Sports Radio. Let me give you the quick spiel here. The Apocalypse Sports Network uh, is something I do where it's two podcasts each week, one like this where we're telling a story and one longer interview, plus three written posts each week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So if you like it, you can subscribe. Go to patreon.com slash apocalypse sports. It's $3 a month. Uh, it's a way to show your appreciation, I guess. And if you want to read the content, you can go to apocalypsesports.net to read the written posts uh, and, of course, subscribe on iTunes and et cetera to check out uh, these podcasts. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you Thursday. Goodbye. Goodbye.